We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It's Big Blue Banter, the answer to all your Giants matters. From run game to coaching to Bob Shepard's timbre. Hosted by Dan Schneier, analysis on fire. A Giants fan since day one, now preaching to the choir. Joined by Nick Filato, breakdowns with bravado. Passing you the facts like he passes on gelato. From just outside New York, a couple football dorks. A killer podcast when Dan says receiver corpse. They do the play-by-play, dropping almost every day. These experts know the X and O's just like Danny O'Shea. They do the review of the All-22, dissecting every throw. OCU Minora lit up in Venora when he was a guest on the show. So there you have it, a podcast for Giants fans who are rabid, who can't wait for Sundays, the NFC East, the Fantasy League standings. We'll see you back here. It's Big Blue Banter. Welcome back. It's the Big Blue Banter, New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier, joined as always my co-host, Nick Filato. Today we're here to break down the All-22 Coaches film of the New York Giants Week 2 loss to the Washington football team. Interesting game. Obviously, we've had some days to reflect. It was a very heated reaction podcast. My brother, Matt Schneier, made his podcast debut. I've heard some good feedback on that. I don't think he'll be making another appearance, but maybe if the time comes, he will. Or maybe Nick can get on, uh, I don't know, Diana or somebody else. (laughs) Can you imagine her coming on, talk a little Giants football with us? But, you know, we might get something like that in the – who knows? Who knows? I actually had a listener come in and tell me via DM that it would be cool to have like a listener on every show. That would be cool and occasionally seems like a decent idea, but the logistics of that are not not very easy to think about from our end. I mean, it was easy to get my brother Matt on because he was with me a lot. We were on vacation in August, a little mini vacation there, watching that watching that Thursday night game from the bar. My God, I, can't, I still can't believe how it ended. We've had some days though now. I've put a ton of time into this week's film. I mean, this was actually fun film to watch. In From some standpoint, Nick, I want to get your take on that. The offense had a really good game, a really good second half on tape. It was fun to watch. What is your, I guess let's start here, Nick. How do you feel now, a few days removed from this game, about this Giants team for the 2021 season? I feel like they're a young football team who couldn't get out of their own way. It's the same feeling I had basically after and watching the film and after the game, they're a team that should have won this football game. They, they've just made so many, so many backbreaking mistakes and left so many yards on the football field that 
you look at it at the end of the day and you're like, teams that make that many mistakes should not win. But the opportunity was there for it to be seized. But because of a variety of different issues with this team and mistakes by this team, which there's blame to go around, we'll, we'll kind of go through all of that uh, on this podcast, they just couldn't get it done. And it's disappointing because you're on the road. You're against a division rival. This this game is incredibly important. And now they're 0-2, about to face the Falcons, who are also 0-2, the battle of the defeated teams, the only two defeated teams in the league right now that are squaring up against each other in week three. Just a disappointing loss, and it, it still sucks. But, I mean, we're going to try to turn the page to week three. But as of right now, let's break it down and, and kind of let the listeners know what exactly happened. So the focus of this podcast will obviously be breaking down the All-22 Coaches film. But before we do that, I do want to comment on what you just said and take a little bit of a 30,000-foot view here because, I mean, listen, this is a road division game. The Giants should have won this game, as you said, Nick. And if they win this game, they're not only 1-1 one and one and right in the thick of things in the division, they have that division win on the road that's super, super important when it comes to December, January football, when we're, when we're talking about tie breaks to win this division, if the Giants are competitive. And in my mind, from what they showed on the field, taking the coaching away and taking the stupid penalties and the stupid unforced errors away, things I hope that can improve a lot more easier than, let's say, offense and defense and special teams, which... We're all good in this game, in my mind. Offense, defense, special teams. Like, I'm not going to blame the Dexter Lawrence jump off sides on bad special teams. I'm going to say it's a mental error. And if you just put that into that bucket, those two buckets right there, it just becomes frustrating for me, Nick, to think about this. Everyone took the victory laps on Joe Judge and his coaching staff this offseason. Victory laps said, I made clear I did not believe in taking yet. Now, I also made clear I like Judge. I like having a coach who doesn't coordinate either side of the ball. I liked his. I liked what he said to the media, man. He sells it really well. I thought they played hard last season. I thought that they made some improvements with their defensive coverage that might have been attributed to Judge, and I'm looking for things to give him credit for. But I thought it was incredibly overblown to take those victory laps on Judge last season when they only won six total games, four in the worst division in the history of the NFL, four against quarterbacks who are not starting this season, if you don't include Andy Dalton, who won't be starting probably the rest of the season at this point. So when you have a season like that, I don't understand how that got overblown into some great job. In large part due to coaching, the Giants lost some games last year in my mind. Not large part, but in some part due to coaching. I should take that back and rephrase that. And now we keep hearing what you just said, Nick, and we keep saying it. It's not hearing. It's me and you saying the same thing, Nick. How many times have we said after watching the All-22 over these last 18 games, the Giants should have won that game? This is not the first time we've said that. If you look back on our tape, I'm sure we could find it. Someone could help us find that. This is not the first time we've said that. And when that's the case, and they look like the better team on all 22, on all three phases of the ball, offense, special teams, defense combined, then it comes to the coaching. And then if you're the co- like, how many times are we going to let that rack up? How many of these, we should have won the game, they were the better team, they should have won the game, rack up before you start pointing the blame to the coaching that everybody took the victory lap on? For me, Joe Judge still has a lot to prove thought this was a bad game for Judge. I thought the first game was a, was a pretty mediocre to bad game for Judge as well. Giants not come out prepared. I thought this was the worst game I saw from Patrick Graham, but we'll talk more about that on the defensive podcast, Nick. But I do want to put this out there, man. 
I'm not sold on Judge after this game, and he needs to turn this thing around fast. He needs to start winning football games. It's enough of the he's doing a great job without the wins, and it's enough of the we us coming back to this podcast saying we watched the All-22, the Giants should have won that game because the Giants should have won that freaking game. Washington had no answer for, on defense for the Giants in the second half of that football game. No answer whatsoever. You're right, Dan. I mean, Judge has not proven that he can be a winning coach, and that's what you're out there for. You're out there to win football games. You're out there to bring exactly what he preaches to the media. You know, consistency, development, you're getting better every day. He always says that to the media, but that has not translated to wins. And you're right. Last year, there were a lot of games that I felt like the Giants could have won, but they just didn't. But a lot of that was a product of an offense that was inefficient and uncreative under Jason Garrett. And that's not the case in this specific game. The script has been flipped and it was more of a defensive letdown than the lack of an offensive output that led to this Giants loss. Now, I think there are so many things we could point to on this film on the offensive side where we can say, yeah, there were yards left on the field there. Defense, which is such a letdown, Dan, because we had such high expectations. We talked about how this unit could be top 10, top 8, but right now they're in the bottom of the league, and I still think they can rectify that. Call me an idiot. I do think they can rectify that. I do trust in Patrick Graham, but they just allowed Taylor Heineke to do that to them, and we'll talk about that a lot more on the defensive podcast, so stay tuned. But that has to be one of the most disappointing takeaways from the loss. Yeah, it is a disappointing takeaway for sure. I mean, this defense forced a three and out from the Washington football team on four of their first six possessions. Four of six to start the game is a really good job by the defense. And yes, they let down in the second half in some spots, the two-play drive, obviously at the end, but they kind of nickel and dime them. But I think more of that was just based on the game plan from Patrick Graham, which I was totally not in on board with at all here. Like, I don't know what the reasons are for it. I'm sure he has some good reasons. He's a smart guy. I'd love to actually get a chance to talk to him about, like, you know, why didn't you just come out and play a lot of even zero? I, I would have been fine with some cover zero or mostly cover one and just press up and just really force Heineke to beat you over the top without time. Send extra blitzers every time, you know, beat him in that way. Don't let him run quick games so easily. But I still think a lot of the big reason why this game was lost, we'll talk about this here on the offensive side of the podcast, so it's not straying too far away, is the points they left on the board. Joe Judge opted to kick a field goal in four fourth and four situations or shorter in opponent territory. I'm probably fine with all those to some extent because Gano's a good kicker, but that's, again, drives that are turning instead of seven into three. The missed touchdown to Darius Slayton. The red zone series where Jones misses the ball to Galladay. It's, it's a tough ball, but if he puts it in there, it's a touchdown. Where Jones misses the throw to uh, she doesn't miss the throw, makes the completion to Shepard, but puts it behind him and he has to catch it and fall down instead of just run into open space. Another potential seven points they take off the board. The time when they had to, you know, when they were in, I think one of these actually we just discussed, but when they were in third and short after a Barkley run and they take two false start penalties and have to kick a field goal again there. And then obviously finally, like, you know, the last drive where they just didn't play at all for the touchdown. To me, those were the biggest issues why they lost this game in my mind especially considering what the defense put together in the first half. And even the second half, the defense had a couple series where they were like, okay, you're doing a better job here. Um, But, you know, we'll get to that on the defensive podcast. We'll talk more about that. Let's talk about the offense here, Nick, and let's open things up by just diving into the first series, a really strong opening script by Jason Garrett. For those of you who don't know, a couple things here. One, check out the YouTube page, Big Blue Banter. Just simply search that in your YouTube bar and you'll find us. Nick did an excellent breakdown on this first series scripted by Jason Garrett. And we've talked a lot in the past. I've talked a lot on Twitter. We've talked about it on this podcast 
of how Jason Garrett has, in my mind, been one of the most underwhelming coordinators in the NFL when it comes to that first opening script, the scripted plays. So for those of you who don't know, every offensive coordinator in the NFL, basically, I assume, I don't know this for a fact, Nick, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure every NFL offensive coordinator scripts their opening drive. They have all week to plan for it. They've looked at the defense. They've looked at the film of the opposing team. They script it out, and hopefully things go according to plan, and then you can have a drive like the Giants had on this one. Um, and so Nick broke that down on YouTube. Also, for those of you who are new to our podcast, Twice a week, we do all 22 coaches film breakdowns where we break down the all 22 coaches film, offense and defense. We're going to run through this series by series for the most part, give some key takeaways at the end, but also give out awards for each week. So unheralded player of the week is one award, throw of the week on film, route run of the week on film, play call of the week based on the film, and then a grade for the offensive line pass blocking and run blocking individually. And then finally, somebody who we thought struggled mightily when we watched the All-22 film. But let's dive into that opening script, Nick. Give me some key takeaways from that opening script and break down any plays you think are worth breaking down. The varying tempo of Jason Garrett, I thought, was really good because there were times where they were going into the huddle. There were times where they were up-tempo. They were kind of keeping Washington guessing on what they wanted to do. I mean, they had play-action rollouts. They had some zone read built into that opening script as well. And I really just like how they were able to attack the the seams and like the soft zone that Washington was showing. Because Washington in this game, they played a lot of cover six quarters type of look. They played some man coverage as well, some cover two. You know, they were trying to use trap coverage on the backside of the cover six where the cover two, because cover six is a mixture of cover four and cover two. So usually depending on what your defense is trying to do, you'll have cover four to the strength or cover four to the weak side. And then to the other side of the formation, typically to the weak side, that's how defenses do it. But some defensive coordinators like to vary this up. They'll play cover two to that backside. So what Washington was doing was they were trying to trap the number two receiver when they had, when the Giants came out in two by two, they were trying to trap the number two receiver to typically the field with Benjamin St. Juice playing a cover two type of technique. They were trying to bait the out route to Sterling Shepard, who was typically the slot receiver in that situation. But that's neither here nor there. Just going back to this offensive drive right now. I mean, I like that that uh, first passing play. It was shotgun two by two set. The running back was to the boundary. Saquon Barkley released around Kyle Rudolph. Kyle Rudolph was the number two receiver to the boundary as well. So he's kind of tight like by the numbers. And Kyle Rudolph just runs and feels this route very well, gets right around John Bostic, presents his hands, and Daniel Jones throws a perfect pass right to Kyle Rudolph on that play. I really like this play. It's an easy way to kind of get feel the space, find the zone, and then also just kind of uncover against the linebacker. But I like it as well because Saquon Barkley releases and kind of follows Kyle Rudolph's path. And in doing that, that kind of puts John Bostic into conflict and Cole Holcomb is eliminated from this play because Holcomb is expanding laterally to kind of match what Saquon Barkley is doing. And if you look in the middle of the field, Dan, you'll see the middle of the field is wide open with this route concept. And John Bostic is basically tasked to cover both Saquon Barkley and Kyle Rudolph on this play. And I, I really liked that play call and Danny Dimes ended up throwing a, a nice high pass to Kyle Rudolph right around the butt of John Bostic. I thought that was a solid play call, as there were several solid play calls in this on this drive. Do you have anything you want to weigh in with that one? Yeah, I mean, listen, excellent first drive. I love the RPO call here on the first down, uh, the third first down of this drive, where they had the double puller really making it look like it's going to be a run, and then a nice route by Galladay. 
Not the best ball here from Jones, but it's a good enough ball. I think if Jones puts that a little higher with a lot more rip and zip, he can put that lead Gale a little bit. Gale can pluck it out in the air and take that for another, I don't know. It's, there's potential for a lot in my mind on that play. I've seen Galladay do it in Detroit. Still love the play design. Again, right after it, love the play design by Garrett. Again, because he's running bootleg action to get Daniel Jones to move the pocket. This is something we talked about a lot last week and throughout last season. We don't need to have a full slate of every single pass play we watch on all 22 where the pocket is the exact set from the exact same point for Daniel Jones, just drop back right under the center. We don't need that. The, the best offenses don't do that unless you have a quarterback who can just do that. And so what I liked a lot about this play specifically was that Shepard's in the slot. He motions back across from right to left at the snap. And that's exactly where the Giants O-line flows on what looks like kind of a fake outside zone before Jones just flips his hip, rolls back to the right. Again, this is not, um, you know, this is not a play where specifically he can find an easy route, can find a big gain with his arm. He ends up taking a few yards on the ground. But there will be times where the Giants get the right look from the defense, and this play completely fools them. And it's a big gain, or at least a gain for 16. So I really love to see that too from this route. Obviously, some other good things to take away from that first drive. Really good stick route by. Um, Shepard to create separation on that third down. Solid ball from Jones, not the best. This is the one where I kind of thought, you know, from this drive, the, the, the old lineman, Nick, that stood out to me the most were Price, Gates, um, Price, Gates, and Thomas. I thought that Thomas actually had a really good game, but settled in mostly after Gates uh, left the game, unfortunately, with that injury. There were a couple plays here, like this stick route, for example. Thomas was just walked right back into Jones, and so he can't really fully follow through with the throw. I mean, there were a lot of plays in this game, Nick, not just on this drive, but a lot of plays in this game where I feel like Lyman were walked right back into Jones's launch point, which made it really difficult for him. Even on the touchdown to Slayton, like, it just seemed like Jones very rarely had a clean pocket. I counted like one play where he had a perfectly clean pocket to operate from and step into, but... Again, just some really good designs here. Great play on, on the second down play. Incredible job. Incredible effort here by Caden Smith blocking on the zone read by Daniel Jones. I mean, I don't know what this dude has to do at this point to get more playing time, but he's basically batting like 800 or higher when it comes to plus or minus reps that Caden Smith is on the field for. So that one obviously stood out to me as well. Um, and then just, you know, on the bad side, the second down before the uh, before the design QB draw, that was the touchdown. So it was three plays before it, I guess. Just a really, really bad rep from Billy Price here. Just You saw that a lot throughout this game in pass protection. Price just simply off balance and out of place. Chase Young actually beat a Gates-Thomas double team on this one too. So, you know, I want to say Jones should hit Shepard on this crosser early, but I feel like, uh, you know, I can't blame that all on Jones and the protection breaks down that much. And they obviously got bailed out by the penalty that led to uh, eventually the Jones uh, great, great play again by Jason Garrett here. Just an awesome opening script. I mean, designs the empty set, which we've been calling for all week, Nick. We've been calling for more empty sets. Boom, quarterback draw to the empty set. And it's an easy touchdown run. Yeah, Dan, the first and 10 play at the Washington 33 where where he motioned Saquon Barkley from the left to the right. And then he runs that screen, that fake screen to Saquon Barkley, kicks kicks Lyman out in that direction. Two linemen release in that direction. So I think this was a choice by Daniel Jones, possibly. And he goes to the backside and ends up throwing the ball to Sterling Shepard, who catches it. But Billy Price is just a little bit late to locate Cole Holcomb there. And Cole Holcomb ends up kind of slowing Shepard down. But that's a really nice play design, man, because you give Daniel Jones two options. He can 
kind of view the defense pre-snap and then make his decision accordingly. And he ended up finding Sterling Shepard. And it wasn't that big of a gain. I think it was only a four-yard game. But I like that play design. Kind of gives your quarterback a bunch of options. And that's what this drive was all about. It was several different options and it, uh, built into what Daniel Jones was supposed to do after the snap. So you had the zone read. He made the decision. He tucked the ball. He picked up the yards. You have the RPO. He made the decision. He saw Landon Collins drop. He threw the ball to Kenny Galladay. And then you have this play where he throws the screen to the backside to Sterling Shepard, which could have been a really nice gain if Billy Price was just a little bit quicker out of his stance. I just thought little plays like that, keeping the defense honest, showing one thing and then doing another, and then also putting players in conflict while allowing your quarterback to make a decision based on what the defense is doing. That's a smart way to play football. That's a way to advance the ball, and that is a way to sustain drives. So kudos to the Giants on this 11-play, 79-yard touchdown drive that was capped off by Daniel Jones' legs. And you nailed it, Nick. It just feels good to see it happen, to see the Giants actually put it all together for an opening script drive like that and cash it in with seven points. Yes, they were aided a bit by a penalty, but that's okay. And that, let's be honest, that happened more than a few times in this game. Um, obviously, the penalties were both sides of the ball, though. A lot of people don't think Lawrence was off sides on the final kick. That's debatable in my mind since he did jump forward. I get that he was back by the time it was snapped, but once you kind of show the refs that, I don't. I think it's all fair game at that point. Um Let's dive into the second series after the first touchdown because the second series did bog down after it started started off looking promising and then it was a bog down. These are kind of the ideas of what we're talking about with points left on the board here, Nick. But actually, before we do that, let's take a quick break to hear a word from our sponsors. But actually, before we take a break to hear a word from our sponsors, Drew, shortly, I know some of you a little bit a while ago saw my tweet, and my tweet was a giveaway. The Big Blue Banter was offering a giveaway for this Playbook product, which has these awesome coasters, a free set of awesome coasters from Playbook product. What they are is, for those who want it, for those who retweeted it and wanted in on this, it was a great, it was the set of greatest Giants plays, four coasters that have the X's and O's right up with the field, with the routes being run, of four of the greatest and most historic plays. The Tyree play is on there. You got the Manningham play i mean this is some of the coolest stuff and playbook product was giving it out a giveaway and so we asked people to retweet this and we were going to pick a winner randomly and so i did that and so i will also tweet out the winner so he knows and so he can collect but if you are a listener as well which i hope you are otherwise i would have i would have liked to have rigged this random picking (laughs) to be quite honest with you to give it to a listener but i'm not that kind of person so i wouldn't have done that but i hope you are a listener as well and i think you are but i'm not certain bill shannon you are the winner of this set of four Giants coasters with the write-up, the X's and O's of the four best plays in the history. Bill Shannon at E-D-N-J-A-C-K-53. So I will tweet you out. I'll tweet at you, Bill, so you can uh, get in contact with Playbook Products and collect that. But on that note, congratulations, and let's take a quick break to your word from our sponsors. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. 
Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. All right, Nick, so the second series got off to somewhat of a promising start here, but then bogged down. So let's talk about what happened here on the second series. The big series, the Giants put more points on the board. I thought the first play was a really good job by Jones to escape, which was just like a total breakdown of the left side of the offensive line. Again, I really felt from watching the film, Nick, that the offensive line, I don't want to say it got better in the absence of Gates at left guard because Bredesen was terrible. I mean, and he wasn't much better than Gates, if anything at all. They're about net even. But I feel like Thomas settled down after that for whatever reason. This one was just like a total breakdown of the left side of the line. I mean, Gates is walked back into the quarterback. Thomas loses his rep here, but he holds for a little while. And then obviously Price just gets embarrassed. This was the second embarrassing play for Price, a second of, of, of more than a few in pass protection here. Price play here is interesting because Price is up against yeah. a node, which is Deron Payne, right? And if you watch this play closely, you'll see Price's eyes flash to John Bostic after he initially stabs Payne. I'm pretty sure that Price was under the assumption that Will Hernandez was supposed to be helping him because... But like I say that, and then I also consider the fact that Nate Solder is up against a four eye shade, which is typically a difficult block uh, for for a tackle. But he squares up and he and he attacks him. So I think this might have just been a miscommunication between Price and Hernandez, where Price uh, expected some sort of help. But look at the protection, Dan, to the right side of the line here. Saquon Barkley, the you have four blockers to take on three players here. Saquon Barkley just kind of drops down. He doesn't go into the A gap or B gap. And then he helps out uh, with Chase Young. And then you have two players focusing on uh, Ioannidis there. So I, I, I just think there might've been some sort of miscommunication there. And it looked like Billy Price was really focused on John Bostick's potential because he was stacked off the ass of Deron Payne on John Bostick's potential to kind of come on the blitz here. I think he thought he was going to have help and that led to this breakdown of protection. Fair enough. I think that's something that, is a little more nuanced and something that I'm glad you went over and you picked up. I'm not going to pick. I've always, as I've always said, and I'll say every single day until I die or until I stop doing this podcast, uh, I learn every day from people like you, Nick, from people smarter than even you who have played the game for longer than you or I or anyone really. Like I didn't play this game very long. I'm just learning on the fly. And so there will be times where I'll see something different. And to me, it looks like Price is getting embarrassed on this play. But like you said, there might be something more to it, another layer to it. I think they're still embarrassed. I, th- I still think there's embarrassment on Billy Price as, as well, 
But I think it was just that he expected help and it wasn't there. And then he couldn't recover right. after pain got to his hedge and got or his edge and got hip to hip. I still think that's could be on Billy Price because the protection could have called. I don't know the protection call, but it could have called for Hernandez to kind of uh, help out Solder there because Solder is Nate Solder. I'm, I'm not 100% yeah. certain. Okay. And then obviously on the second down play, that's where we see Barkley look like the most like himself or like his old self, like we've seen in a long time on this long run. I mean, I thought great job again. I mean, the guy, like I said, the guy's batting 800 or higher with the Giants, but Caden Smith just comes flying into the picture here to seal his man. That is not an easy block to get around that and seal him. I actually thought Price did a good job or a solid job on this play as well. And then Saquon makes the strong cut. They get right into scoring range after this play and then it bogs down completely. So you want to talk about this run or what happened after the run? Yeah, I really love the run. I mean, Washington got caught, man. Sometimes you get got when you want to be aggressive and they tried doing like a middle linebacker twist with John Bostic shooting the A gap and then Cole Holcomb kind of coming right around him on a little stunt and Caden Smith read it. He locates Holcomb's outside shoulder, seals it, and while Price uses Bostic's momentum to penetrate upfield, it creates a gigantic hole. And as Chase Young tries to flow over the top to kind of get into that A-gap that's now open, he just gets kind of washed down by Nate Solder enough for Saquon Barkley to spring this run. Kenny Galladay does just an excellent job blocking downfield. And then you can even see, I mean, Kadarius Tony takes a lot of crap. And I know Joe Judge uh, tweeted this, well, he did the Giants breakdown. The Giants end up tweeting out. Kadarius Tony comes all the way from the backside of the formation and sprints this entire time and 100% to possibly land a block that doesn't end up happening. But I do love to see the effort from the kid. Yeah, no doubt about it. And how about what happens after this play, Nick? Because that's obviously where the drive bogs down. We want to kind of figure out what happened here. Yeah, after this play, they do that little pitch, uh, that little reverse end around to CJ Board, which ends up being a uh, solid gain right there. But, I mean, mistakes, man. You're going to end up – they line up under center two plays in a row, which you like to see. But once you start taking false start penalties, you're not going to do well for your offense. They run the football on the subsequent play. Cole Holcomb, I think this was a play where – no, no, this wasn't the play. There was a play in here where Cole Holcomb trips – straight up trips Saquon Barkley. I don't know if you saw that. But uh, yeah, that, that kind of pissed me off. Yeah, and then he like literally stuck his foot out and tripped, and it could have been a huge run. I think that was in the fourth quarter, though. But then Andrew Thomas, out of the timeout, ends up taking the quote-unquote false start, but it was much more of the fact that the Giants didn't know how to align, which is so unexcusable. You take a timeout, Dan, you come out of the timeout, you don't know what you're doing. That is literally like clinic football type of stuff. Like That is just inexcusable when you make those mistakes. Your drives are going to bog down, and you don't deserve to score points, to be honest. And then the very next play... Uh, I believe Daniel Jones gets sacked by just a few different players who just end up crashing into the pocket. The protection just totally breaks down. Looks like uh, Matt Ioannidis just bullies Will Hernandez back into Daniel Jones and Montez Sweat is bullying Andrew Thomas back into him. And you have Deron Payne getting the best of uh, Billy Price. It was just a bad look for the Giants protection. Yep. And so it bogs down, obviously leading to no points here for the New York Giants. We roll forward, third series of the game. You know, Giants start this game off excellent opening script. Really should have got points from that second drive, but as you said, some mental errors. False start, bad. That's just not prepared, it seems like, in a lot of ways. And in my mind, even, by the way, when you hit an explosive play, I don't love coming to the reverse there because I just feel like the defense is expecting run and they're not going to be caught off guard there ever. I feel like it's just like the... 
it's very easy for it's not easy, but I feel like I don't know why I've always felt this way, Nick. But I've always felt like a lot of coordinators in the NFL are somewhat off guard after the big explosive play. It's like uh, they're like panicking because they, you know the team has to get downfield, the linemen have to get downfield before you know it. You have like 13 seconds on the play clock, and you're trying to get a play in, and it just feels like ah, oh, let's just run it, or you know, let's get a little creative, quote unquote, and run a reverse. But I feel like that worked in a sense to bog down that drive. But whatever, we move forward here. Um, first down here in the series, this was probably, and he had an overall great game. I tweeted about it, uh, and we'll talk about this at the end, but I really thought Jones had a great game for Jones specifically, but on this first play, it was bad Jones. I mean, it seems to me like he's just waiting for Galladay here, no matter what, has a staring down from the start of the snap, airmails this, just really bad ball placement. But meanwhile, it's a great first down play action shot by Garrett that gets Shepard wide open, breaking into the middle. I mean, Shepard's open for multiple seconds, it feels like, or multiple, you know, it's always faster in real time, multiple split seconds before Jones uh, launches that ball over Galladay's head. This is an easy hit for Jones here if he recognizes that Shepard's the go-to for the big gainer. Yeah, I think he locked on to Kenny Galladay. It's something that Daniel Jones still does from time to time. But I do I do love the shot, man. And Jason Garrett, he was very aggressive. I mean, he threw eight of the Giants' first plays. Eight of the ten. God, I love the Nick. Oh, my yeah. God, do I love to hear that. Yeah, it's awesome. That was an overthrow. Uh, DJ, I mean, it looked good. It, it also seemed like Ben Bredesen, he got beat, which probably accelerated the, the decision-making process of, uh, of Daniel Jones on that specific play. And then what do they do? It's second and long. They attempt to run the football. Uh, Billy Price just gets tossed to the ground and Saquon Barkley, or actually I think it was Devontae Booker, ends up trying to cut the football back off the ass of Kyle Rudolph. But Chase Young is, is there to kind of slow that down, along with Matt Ioannidis, who had a really good game for Washington. And then at that point, you're in a, a third third down situation that doesn't necessarily go your way either, and the Giants are forced to punt. Yep. And that's, again, just a situation where, you know, that first play here kind of decides the drive here. So this one a little bit on Jones, and I even thought on that third down, he kind of looked Rudolph's way a little bit too much, but now you're heading into yeah. the four seasons here, and everyone before, wants before to... I before I advance, like I, first off, yeah. the last the third down play, Daniel Jones ends up getting sacked on that play, and again, it looks like Billy Price assumes that he's going to have Ben Bredesen's help there because Ben Better Bredesen he's uncovered, and you only have two defenders towards the left side of the line, and Ben Bredesen has his hand outstretched to kind of feel the contact, but he decides to go and help Andrew Thomas when Andrew Thomas really doesn't need help, and then at that point, Billy Price is push pulled and then swam over the top towards Ben Bredesen's side, but Bredesen's attention was somewhere else, which is unfortunate. It's still a bad rep by Billy Price. There's no excuse there. But the fact that Bredesen didn't the fact that Bredesen didn't know to help Billy Price when Andrew Thomas looked pretty solid where he was. He was square to Montez Sweat. He was getting long armed, but he was able to re-anchor himself. I mean, it's just unfortunate. I feel like there's going to be just kind of a roller coaster with these two interior offensive linemen feeling their way out because they're both new to this team. They've never played together either. So there's going to be just mishaps along this offensive line. The cohesiveness is just not there. Yeah, for sure. And I also think on this play, Nick, and I'm curious to get your take, because again, now we're rolling into the third series. Giants have that first seven on the board, nothing else. And they're punting. It's like everybody's blaming the defense for this game. Meanwhile, the defense starts this game with four of six, three and outs, four of six, three and outs. And the offense now enters its fourth series at this point and won't enter it yet. We're going to get to that in a minute. But with only that one touch on the show, and here's my thought, though, on that third down, by the way. You have Rudolph detaches the big slot. Jones kind of stares him down, misses this one. I see a lot of teams winning here with the receiver out there. Yes, maybe it changes a little bit of the personnel that the other team's going to show, I guess. 
But not really. I mean, he's detached from the formation as the big slot anyway. It's not like he's lined up to block. They know it's a pass play anyway. you got to get a receiver on the field here who can win this route quicker. I feel like Rudolph doesn't win this route very fast anyway, even though obviously, you know, he's staring it down. But why not have a receiver against that linebacker? I feel like that wins a lot more often. It does win a lot. I mean, and that, he didn't even chip on this play, which was a big part of Jason Garrett's game plan that I did like to see the chipping of the running backs and the chipping of the tight ends. We saw it against Denver as well when Devontae Booker absolutely planted. I think it was Malik Reed. So I'm glad that that continues to be a part of the offense, but he doesn't even chip Chase Young on this play. He just allows him to get the free release. And you're right, Kyle Rudolph, he's slow in his routes, but that's what I expected from him. I'm still hoping that he can find ways to uncover, but it just doesn't look like from an athletic standpoint, he's anywhere near that. And I don't love the third down play call either. I mean, you have the two curls to the to the boundary side. Sterling Shepard just stays on the line of scrimmage. And then you have a, a fade type of route from Kenny Galladay. It's just a Jason Garrett type of play call that we've we've come all too accustomed to watching, Dan. <laughs> Yep. Again, great game by Garrett. Probably as best as the Giants coordinator, but it's still not what you want to see. I mean, there was a stat today that that Ian Harris tweeted out, and according to Pro Football Focus, the highest percentage of pass attempts when a receiver is considered either open or wide open. Number one in the NFL with 61% of these pass attempts, the 49ers. Number 32 with just 33% of these pass attempts the New York football giants and plays like the one Nick just went over. Like even in a game like this, where Garrett surprised us by throwing on eight of 10 first downs by taking aggressive shots by, in my mind, finding solutions against the Washington defensive scheme and what Del Rio was doing in the second half pretty easily, like coming out with plays that like perfectly matched and gave like chess match wins for Garrett. Even so after two games, the giants are dead last in this statistic and you look it over a little bit more and a little bit further and you do some digging. I mean, I, I watched a great video from Kurt Warner breaking down the Giants game. It was an 18-minute long film breakdown. And he talks a lot about the route combinations that he doesn't like them from Garrett. I mean, he says a lot of the times the clear-out vertical routes that he's running are not the right plays because they're not putting any stress on a safety and they're not forcing the safety to move with the receiver across the field on something like a deep overwood. And he talked a lot about um, you know, some of the routes that Nick, like some of these third down calls that they keep going back to some of these like stick type plays they keep going back to. And so even in his best game, he's still not great. And I'm still not, I mean, obviously I'm not sold on Garrett. It's far from that. There's almost nothing he can do to change my mind at this point. And I'm just being honest. And that's fair. In my mind, that's fair criticism. It's unfair to say the opposite. It's unfair to say you're being too harsh on him. No, there's so much data out there. Like just hearing that stat alone, seeing that stat alone is insane. But then you couple that with the film that we watch week after week, Nick. And yes, he had a great game. But even so, he's got to do this for 18 straight games. And it's kind of hard when he's running these route combos. So that's a little <laughs> a little aside there. I didn't want to get too deep into it. But I just thought it was an interesting stat to bring up. Let's get into the fourth series here, Nick. Again, Giants just have seven points at this point. Yeah, so this is a big series in the game in my mind. And again, kind of goes into what I'm talking about earlier where Stop pinning this all on the defense. The offense was leaving points on the board. This is the series where, first play, by the way, I want to get your take on it. I love the design here to get Barkley there. I thought the play should have been quick snap, get the ball in Jones' hands, get it out to Barkley. Barkley has a lot of green space on this first down play. And if you get the ball to him fast, good things could happen there with that amount of space. But that's neither here or there. The next play is the zone read keeper touchdown by DJ. Call back by penalty. Not sure if it was a penalty, but this is where the points are then left on board here because the Giants get backed up by the penalty into the red zone where, again, 
Jason Garrett is at his absolute worst, in my opinion, when he's in the red zone. That's where the play calling is the worst for him. And that's not some kind of like random coincidence. It's hard to call plays in the red zone. It's hard to score in the red zone. But at the same time, the Giants were dead last, except for the Jets. I always consider this dead last because the Jets had Adam Gase last year, which is a joke of an offense. Dead last besides Adam Gase in red zone trips that scored in touchdowns last season, 2020. And things have not been much better this year for the Giants in the red zone so far. And this was an example of this. So here's my take on the red zone series here. You have the first and 10 here. Well, first you have the first down created by uh, another zone read keeper by Jones. Good job. The next one you have the first and 10 here where Galladay, I think if he leads Jones, it's a touchdown here. And this is a big miss for, for Jones here in the game. So even though it was a great game here, I want to get your take on this, Nick. It's a zero. It's a it's a zero coverage by Washington here. The middle of the field is completely open, and I think Warner actually did a good job of breaking this down. Kurt Warner, Jones, instead of taking uh, instead of taking an extra hitch here, just needs to catch. And instead of faking, he fakes the run here. It's a play action call. He needs to audible in his head there and say, "I don't have time nor need to fake the run here." The, the Washington is showing zero coverage back there. And they actually send all the guys. There's no safety in the middle field. Galladay breaks, creates separation on the slant, and Jones kind of drives the ball right to Galladay for the incomplete pass. Instead of leading him and floating the ball ahead of him with anticipation, not faking the run to Barkley, giving yourself enough time to get the ball out there ahead of time with anticipation. And that's a touchdown. That's an easy touchdown that, that the Giants didn't get. That absolutely is an easy touchdown that the Giants didn't get. And he goes into it, and he, and he has just, like, even in, him going into the mesh point with Saquon Barkley, like that's fine. You're right. Like he should do it in his head, but he still has the time. He's falling back a little bit. There's pressure on him. He just tries to force the football in rather than putting it high and kind of putting a little bit of touch on it. And I think Daniel Jones has solid touch overall, but this is just decision-making by him. And it's similar to the Darius Slayton drop. We're going to go over a little later. He drives the ball in instead of kind of putting a little bit more air under it. So his receivers can, run underneath it. And that's something I feel like Jones needs to work on. He did it a couple of times with Kenny Galladay and then obviously that Darius Slayton play, but definitely on this one, because this could have been a touchdown. I know Kurt Warner broke it down. Well, Kenny Galladay is able to get just enough separation, but the ball is put like right on the numbers. Just put it high and loft it over that, over his shoulder and allow him to run underneath it and catch it. And then you're going to have a touchdown there. Yeah, this is one I felt like really strongly about when I was breaking down the film last night. Then when I saw the Warner breakdown, I, 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 I'm sure, you know, we both picked up on this anyway. And we've seen this from Jones a lot with him driving the ball instead of kind of leading it and putting air under it. But the one thing I didn't think about, and I think it's interesting, is kind of that decision making in your head to kind of put the ball in the mesh point for Barkley or understand that based on the coverage and based on what was coming, he did not need to waste time with the play fake there. That's what Warner pointed out to me. I thought was really interesting. I, was not, I wasn't even thinking about that at the time because he still got the throw off. You know, He still had time even with that to get the throw off. But maybe if he doesn't do that, he can plant a little better, set up a little better, and get the ball out in front. I'm not sure. Obviously, then you have the second and 10 play here. Again, it's not an easy throw here, and this is the play that Galladay gets flagged for for the, you know, or, or the defensive back gets flagged for on Galladay. But this is a do, it's not an easy throw from Jones, but if he puts a little bit more air under this and kind of just puts it in a spot where, where Galladay can make a contested catch, something we talked about all offseason, this one again might be a touchdown because Galladay creates some separation at the end despite the hold. I think he does put air under under this ball, to be honest. I don't think the the throw to Kenny Galladay is, is the issue here. He draws the penalty. This could have been a touchdown if he doesn't get held there. It's uh, more that this was a one-on-one -on -one 
basically isolation situation. The safety ends up kind of flowing towards the strength. He had options towards the bottom of the screen. Kyle Rudolph's open. The flat route is open with uh, Sterling Shepard, but that has to be quickly diagnosed. He wanted to end up taking, he wanted to take the shot to Kenny Galladay here and give him the opportunity. And I think Galladay might've been able to catch this football if he's not held by Kyle Fuller here. That throw wasn't as nearly as bad as, as the one previous. He does put some air on it. Definitely not, for sure. No, definitely not. The worst throws from this game from Jones were definitely not leading Galladay for the touchdown, the one before. And then, you know, we'll get to some others later. But I agree with you on that. And Bredesen, now in the first and ten. Bredesen has been bad on uh, that rep too, bro. Like really, like Shane Bredesen, Lemieux bad. Yeah, Bredesen has some Shane Lemieux reps in these first two weeks of film. Some really Shane Lemieux-esque pass blocking reps. And so it's like, you know. This might be what happens when days before your week one opener, you scramble trade for two guys who teams don't want on the offensive line. And like, no one's giving up offensive linemen these days if they're good. It's really the truth of it. Like, Bredesen can still be an okay player. We liked him coming out. We liked him better than Lemieux. That's, you know, that's all on a spectrum. Price at this point has a lot of bad film and it's deep into his career. Who knows what can happen there? Maybe he can get better, I hope. But when you scramble trade for two guys that end up playing, almost all the snaps in your second game of the season, that's not planning well in the offensive line. And remember, this guy got here, this GM got here and said, the first thing I'm going to do is fix this offensive line. Where are we now? Where are we heading into year four with him as a general manager? And it's not like there's any excuses that can be made because he's had more draft capital than any GM in the entire NFL when you factor in the Odell Beckham trade and where they're picking in every round. And he has an owner who let him kick the cap can and load up the cap to this year from, from future years, t- giving them a hit next offseason. Like, Giants can't do anything next offseason, basically, unless they want to keep dipping further and further and further, which is fine to some extent, but the Giants have spent up to the four Super Bowl teams this year, the Bucks, the Chiefs, the Bills. Like The Giants are next on that list as far as cap spending goes. And it's just like, where are they in relation to that, specifically on the offensive line? This guy's number one gig was, I'm going to fix the O-line. So... I mean, to me, that's the most obvious of the fireable offenses. It's not the only one, but regardless of where this season goes, I don't think they're in good hands if he continues to be their GM. Stand by that. But let's get back to the game here. Got that little rant out. Next play, the first and 10, Nick, after the penalty. What I've been told, and I'm curious to get your take on, what I've always been told here is two things you shouldn't try in the red zone. Fade passes, which we've talked about, and that's unfortunately something Garrett tries. Not all OCs do. And screen passes in the red zone. Because what I've heard is there's just simply not enough space and the safeties are lined up too close to the line of scrimmage to get screens off. The Giants here try a screen play. Ultimately, it's a wasted call for no yards. Have you heard that too? Or what are your thoughts on running these types of like screens in the red zone? I mean, I don't really like the play call just from the sense that if you look at the numbers, you have three Washington players from the hash to the numbers aligned over the top of the stack that splits the hash in the numbers. So you're at a numbers disadvantage there anyways. And Chase Young is aligned on the hash, who is just an incredible athlete. And yes, you're going to be kicking offensive linemen into that direction. You're going to be kicking three offensive linemen into that direction, but there's just not a lot of space there. You don't have a numbers advantage. Kenny Galladay has to make his block. He does, but then you have to have Sterling Shepard beat a a cornerback. He has to catch the football, collect himself, and then try to out-juke a cornerback who's not far off the line of scrimmage because it's hard for Nate Solder to cover all that ground to get out there and throw that kick-out block. It's, I, I don't, it's a low-upside type of play call, in my opinion. 
everything has to go perfectly for the offense. And there's a lot of things that can happen for the defense to mitigate that, which it ends up happening. I mean, Kenny Galladay throws his block. That's all well and good. Andrew Thomas gets to the linebacker or the safety and picks him up, but there's still three defenders right around Sterling Shepard. So I don't love this play call. Yep. No doubt about it. And then of course we have the second down run call just hasn't worked all season for the giants in the red zone. Didn't work last season, but I guess you can say, well, that was because Barkley wasn't on the field, I suppose. Doesn't seem to be the case, though, because it didn't work here. And the run blocking is obviously, quite obviously, not good on this football team right now. Or at very least, uh, slightly below average if you're being nice about it. And so I just don't understand this. The, the, the red zone play calling for me, again, with Garrett is just, it's really where they where they truly have their worst moments. Um it's so obviously this goes for no gain, leaves the Giants with a tough third down. And here we are, taking seven points off the board from that Daniel Jones long touchdown run and turning it into three. Giants lose this game by one point. That's four points right there that they left off the board, including the three in my mind that they left off from their possession before this when they had the Barkley long run result right into field goal range or very on the border field goal range that resulted in no points. So now we have potential seven points left off the board in this game. So many points left on the field here. And I mean, and kudos to Jamin Davis on, on that third down play. Because the Giants run, they have they have the stack with Kenny Galladay. He runs a seven routes. Uh, Devontae Booker flares out into the flat to kind of create a two-level read. And then Sterling Shepard goes inside and runs a jerk route against Jamin Davis. So what he does is he acts as if he's going to run a spot route, which is where you just kind of sit in, in a zone. But this is end up, he ends up sitting in the zone right there, but it ends up being man coverage. Uh, and then he jerks to the outside, shimmies his shoulders in that direction before darting back inside. And Jimin Davis is just all over it. That's a linebacker right there, man, just easily covering Sterling Shepard. I mean, that's that's a really good play. No doubt about it. All right, now we get to the next half. Fifth series of the game for the Giants. Obviously, we're not counting that kneel down. Giants come out with a field goal drive here. Again, it's good to get points on the board. But I feel like there was more, you know, points left off the board. So why don't you go ahead and break down anything that stood out to you first from this drive? Any plays you wanted to break down? Yeah, I mean, I like the the aggressiveness on a play action. You have Daniel Jones under center. First play, he turns his back to the defense. It's not something Daniel Jones has been excellent at doing, turning your back to the defense. But he fakes the play action, does a good job, and then he hits Sterling Shepard on the dig route. Sterling Shepard has some good separation against 29. But... Sterling Shepard kind of has to go down to collect this ball. It doesn't necessarily hit him in stride. He slides in his knees. I mean, the throw, I'm not going to sit here and, and say the throw was bad or anything like that. It was a good first play to open up the half. I love the aggressiveness from Jason Garrett here. But then in the second play, uh, the Giants end up getting a lucky break. They get the neutral zone infraction, which is something that you're looking for. And... And they end up finding, I think, uh, Caden Smith on that play anyway. So it's a solid little gain. But uh, any any takeaways from that? Uh, just in general from this drive, I did like to see um, DJ again successfully running the zone. I mean, you see Sweat here freezing instead of crashing down. Jones beats him anyway, despite Sweat freezing. Like That just showed me the kind of athleticism that Jones had on that first and five call. I mean, remember, this is a quarterback who had one of the single best three-cone drills of any quarterback if not the best, if I remember correctly, at the combine. He kind of always gets like credited just for the deep speed, but he may even be better, in my mind, at maintaining momentum while turning laterally, like turning corners laterally, and then getting vertical. I think that he showed that trade a lot in this game on the Zod read. I mean, this Giants run game had almost absolutely nothing, with the exception of 
two runs, or I'd say three runs by Barkley, and then all Daniel Jones just creating on his own in the zone read game. And so love to see that. I thought the second down play in this series, I believe it was the one where they motioned Sterling Shepard back into that super tight formation and run the ball anyway. That was the first bad call by Garrett. When he runs that crap, man, it's just like it never works. It never freaking works when he motions that wide receiver back into the tight formations, tries to run. We don't have that football team. We don't have the Browns offensive line. We don't have the tight ends. We don't have the team to be running this crap. Like if you want to find success in the run game do zone read with dj or run out of the gun with barkley or run out of spread with barkley this is the way you're going to hit plays we're not going to hit plays by doing this we're not that kind of team now i think he did a good job later in this drive uh good route combo by garrett on that third down to get shepherd open so obviously we finally get to the point where giants bogged down here in the red zone once again this is not technically i shouldn't say the red zone this is not the red zone just outside of the red zone like you said, it was all kind of on that first and 10 play where Barkley gets trapped and loses six yards, kind of kills the drive there. But again, Gano, nice hit here, able to get three points. I don't want to say this drive is points left on the board because it's, I mean, this could happen with that first down play that takes you off schedule. Um, but w- any other thoughts on this series before we get to the sixth series? Yeah, I love that shotgun bunched reduced set that they utilized on the third and seven to, to kind of draw a penalty. I mean, I broke that down. I believe it's on our... Uh our YouTube page where Sterling Shepard runs a delayed follow angle type of concept. And he motions just to kind of delay his release. He allows Darius Slayton to run the drag route, which takes the apex defender away because he's taking whatever under route goes in that direction. And then Kyle Rudolph runs directly through the outside shoulder of Landon Collins, who's on the line of scrimmage and then directs himself at Benjamin St. Juice, forcing St. Juice to either go over the top of this route or underneath, and his decision-making is just a bit too slow, and this just allows Sterling Shepard to be wide open on this play. I mean, this is a really good uh, play design, as you said, by Jason Garrett, and this is a rub route. This is a great man-beater from Jason Garrett in this situation, well-called, and the throw could have been so much better here. This could have been a huge play. It's little plays like this that get left on the field. This could have been a huge play for Sterling Shepard here, but Jones, he's under pressure because Nate Solder allows Montez Sweat to basically barrel down on Daniel Jones and Sterling Shepard just kind of has to slide and catch the football and falls to the ground and is easily corralled by Benjamin St. Juice. But that could have been a huge play for the Giants because if you look at the open field, there's one safety who's a little bit off. But I mean, there's so much space in front of Sterling Shepard on that specific play. Yep, no doubt about it. And, you know, that's something you got to think about as you move forward, something they can lean on. Now it's 14 13 at this point and the Giants again. Defense getting crushed all game, right? The defense is the reason they lost the game, even though we literally just went over this first half where seven full points were left on the board by the Giants. Seven full points by the offense and by the mistakes. Defense forces a three and out to start the second half. So now it's 14-13. The defense continues to force these three and outs and yet gets blamed for just losing this game, which, again, I just I think defense deserves blame, a ton of blame in this game, Nick. So I'm definitely not saying that. But I don't think it's like the reason they lost this game is because of the it's, defense. It's That's the expectation. It's the expectation. Yeah, That's why. That's 100% the reason why people are blaming the defense more is because a lot of people expected the defense to be really good, and they weren't. And in the times – and they, they came up with a huge turnover too. People seem to forget that. They came up with that huge James Bradbury turnover. That's right. the defense right there. But in the times when they really, really needed to clamp down to win the football game, they didn't rise to the occasion. They allowed Taylor Heineke to, to drive down the field in two plays, which is just absolutely abysmal. And then they allowed – 
the Washington football team to nickel and dime them uh, in order to get in a field goal range to win that football game. So I think that's why people are probably harping on the defense, but you're right. The offense left so many plays on the field and we're still encouraged by the offense. That just goes to speak about how New York Giants fans view this offense. There's no confidence in it. How we view Jason Garrett, there's not a lot of confidence there at all. But the fact that they put points on the board and were able to move the football a little bit on the road encourages everybody. So the blame shifts to the defense rather than the offense, even though the offense, I mean, they they, they definitely uh, left points out there. That's a great way to break it down, Nick. Like, it's truly what you just said. You did, a, you did a great job there. It's just a lot based on expectations, I think, at this point on both sides of the ball. And there's such a wide spectrum of the expectations when you compare it to the offense and defense. It's like night and day. So we start the sixth series, big series for the Giants, touchdown drive series to go up 2014. This is where I felt like the Giants had control of the game from this point on, should have never lost a game like this, and found a way to lose a game. First, love the play call in first and 10. I'm not going to break it down fully here. Or I could break it down fully, but eh, we can tip it off. This is one of my two play calls of the week here because I just love to see this. They go empty set here, which I've been calling for forever. But the idea of this empty set is get Kenny Galladay in a one-on-one vertical route where you don't really have an opportunity to have the safety uh, to have the safety come over the top to help. I think Jones does a good job right off the snap. And again, it's so defined in these empty sets. Like it's very quick happening it's quick developing Nick but it's also like it's gonna work like so he snaps the ball and takes the time to look off the safety there's only that one safety you can get to that vertical wrap by Galladay here just him takes the time to look him off snaps his shoulder back throws a pretty damn good ball on this vertical route to Galladay I think as they work more together this is something I tweeted about I think the breakout is coming for Kenny Galladay and Daniel Jones very soon they didn't have any of training camp to work together, none of the preseason. They're just getting their timing right. There was plays like this where the timing was just a little bit off. And I don't even want to call this timing off. This is a good ball from Jones. And I think that it always surprised me that these are never called, these defensive pass interference type plays. But I feel like this, uh, they, the, the defensive back pinned Galladay's left hand to the point where he can't get it free to get a second hand on the ball. To me, that's 30 yards down the field. At worst, that should be a holding call. But either way, love the play call, love the shot, love the idea to take the shot, love the idea to get a vertical one-on-one with Galladay, and good ball placement by Jones. Absolutely. I mean, that that should have been DPI, to be honest. Galladay couldn't get his, I believe it was his left arm, out there to to catch the football. And I'm not saying, oh, the ref screwed us over or anything like that, but that that if it wasn't for that hold, I think that's a catch. I, I like the isolation. I like the, the little curl-fade combination from well, the hitch fade, I should say, combination from the uh, from the Giants, and the Giants also end up getting bailed out though on third down uh, with a with a holding penalty or a face mask penalty, I believe it was against Sterling Shepard, but it was actually there. I mean, number twenty nine uh, Fuller ends up holding him and, and preventing Shepard from kind of getting into his break. The Shepard is so shifty in space, man. I really and it came up plenty of times in this game where where the Giants tasked Sterling Shepard to, to isolate himself against a defender. And I don't even know if it's in the playbook as a choice route or, or exactly what, what he's being told to do, but he ends up getting open. And I feel like the rapport that Daniel Jones has with Sterling Shepard is, is uh, something that continuously helps this offense because they seem to be on the same page a lot, depending on the coverage. And he's really difficult to cover in space. You nailed it, man. I think week after week as we watch this guy on All-22, Sterling Shepard, he continues to not only be the most underrated Giants player on the roster as far as what the film tells us, but maybe one of the more underrated in the NFL. I think the sky's a limit for him this year if he can stay healthy. That's a big if based on his career to this point. 
But man, he is a really good player to watch on film. And obviously then we follow that up. <laughs> Just a painful, <laughs> painful play by Garrett. I can't stand to watch Jason Garrett run the draw on second and 15 after the false start. I just can't stand it. I get it. He has six in the box, six blockers to face six in the box. But just look how quickly on film a good IDL, like the Washington football team has, like he knows they have. He's scouted them now. He's his third game against Washington football team. He's seen a lot of film on this interior defensive line. Look how quickly he gets off Price's block. If you don't have Jason Kelsey or better at center, don't run this play on second and long. Just don't run this play. I mean, like, there were plays they ran later in the game that I want to give credit to Jones and the offense for on second and long, specifically on one play, to get them into third and manageable. This is just never going to get you into a good third down spot unless you have an unreal center in my mind. I don't care that it's six on six. Maybe run it if you have seven blockers for six in the box. Maybe then. But even then, like, the IDL just destroys Price off the snap, and then the play's, the play's dead. Yeah, play's dead. I mean, I, I'm not a fan of that either. But to move on... You end up losing nine yards on that play. But good on Daniel Jones and Kenny Galladay. Jones executes good timing here. But Garrett comes out here, and it's not the most imaginative play. I mean, it's two curls, two deep curls to the boundary, and then running back curl out of the backfield. Sterling Shepard runs a curl and tries to find space in the slot. And then Kenny Galladay has enough leverage against Benjamin St. Juice, who's playing a zone technique. But to the sideline, Kenny Galladay kind of stems towards the outside and then turns around and Jones, to his credit, delivers a nice hard pass to Kenny Galladay to make up for kind of a lot of lost yardage. And they end up picking up 12 yards there to set up the third and seven where we could break down that play here in a second. But I don't love the play call, but I like the the decision by Jones to find the defender who isn't in the best technique to defend the play call that Jason Garrett has. Because how many times have we seen this play call happen and the Giants receivers can't create any separation because the defense is sitting on top of all of those routes? Yeah, we've seen it too many times here. And again, like I I want to say this, like you said, I don't love the, the, love the play call and the route combos there. That's the best way to describe it, and that's on Garrett. But I do think Jones did a good job here to get them into a yeah. third and manageable. And break down this third and seven because, man, did Shepard get open on this one. Yeah, I love this. And this is another reduced tight bunch set to the field. I'd love to see it. Last time they ran this, they had two routes breaking outside. We broke that down a little bit ago. But here they use Kadarius Tony to release off the line of scrimmage. He gets a clean release because you lose. You use Kyle Rudolph to kind of act as a uh, – as a, as a picker here to get this linebacker to to knock off. And then again, Benjamin St. Juice, who's aligned outside of Cole Holcomb and aligned slightly outside of the bunch, cannot get to Kadarius Tony here. So Kadarius Tony is running wide open on the drag. And that happens, that forces number 29 to jump down on the drag route because he has the undercall. It's his job to take whoever's coming over the middle. But now there's two receivers coming over the middle. So he has to make a decision. He drives down on 89. And then that forces the other safety to pick up Sterling Shepard. Problem is that other safety doesn't end up picking up Sterling Shepard. He ends up kind of just dropping to the middle of the field. And 29 ends up getting high load here because he's going down in Kadarius Tony when Sterling Shepard is running with no one else around him over the top. So I love this play design. I love this play call. I don't know why the Giants don't utilize more in-breaking routes like this in conjunction with each other to put defenders into conflict. I love the fact that Jason Garrett did it here, but I need to see more of it, man. Yeah, and I think you did a great job breaking that down, Nick. And for listeners of the Big Blue Bander podcast, think about what he just said there. What it did on that play, what that design did by bringing Tony across, is it forced that safety to make a decision. 
Tony or Shepard, Tony or Shepard. And that's a lot of what we were breaking down earlier, what we need to see more of. Like when they're instead running those clear out type routes, those vertical clear outs, instead of bringing the receiver on a deep over there, it's not, it's allowing that safety to kind of just stay in place. He doesn't have to move across the formation. He doesn't have to move off his spot. It allows him to stay in place to the point where like, the other route on the uh, on the other side. So there's a great example that Warner broke down where they, they ran the clear out. They ran, you know, from a trip uh, formation. They had two receivers on the right side of the formation. One ran the clear out vert and the other on the outside ran the deep in. Now the safety gets to sit there the whole time when the guy's running the clear out vert. He doesn't have to cr- cut across towards the right side of the formation. But if, if the, instead that, that clear out vert is turned into a deep over route, something that comes across the formation. And this is a good example of it kind of ties back to what Nick just broke down, where Tony's coming across the formation. It forces that safety to make a decision, and it allows a chance for a much bigger play on that deep end, that that deep end from the outside receiver. The safety might be out of place. Or if the safety hangs on that route for whatever reason, now that deep crosser is open. So just have to do more of that stuff. Like Nick's, you know, we've it's a broken record here, but Garrett has to run a lot more plays that put the safety in conflict. And that's as simple as that. But we get yes, back to this drive. Also, that 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 play design right there effectively eliminates Benjamin St. Juiced from the play because both right. of those routes are cutting inside and he can't work over the top. And by the time he even realizes those routes are going inside, both Sterling Shepard and Kadarius Tony are so far away from him. So if you watch this play, you'll see 25 just kind of looking around, looking for work. He sees the running back release into the flat who's being covered by a linebacker already. And he just goes in that direction. So you have two defenders in the middle of the, or you have two wide receivers in the middle of the field with two defenders who aren't exactly sure what they're doing. So, I mean, that's a, that's great design right there. Need to see more of it. All right. Then on the first and 10, they run an RPO here a little bit high, maybe Galladay can catch it. I don't know. What are your thoughts on this play call? I love this play call because Jones, with these RPOs, what Jones is doing, he's reading a defender. So the defender that he's reading right now is number 31, Cameron Curl, and these linebackers to see if they're going to bite up on the Saquon Barkley rushing attempt. And they both do, and then Cameron Curl aggressively bites up, which opens up the space for the slant to happen. And you know what? The throw isn't perfect. You want Jones to throw it a little bit more to the middle of the field because there's no defender in that area other than a backside safety who's really far away. The throw is a little bit inside, still something that Kenny Galladay has to catch, in my opinion. Not the perfect throw, still something he has to catch. And uh, I, I like the decision, though, because you're, again, forcing Washington's defense to react and then making a decision based on their actions. And it was the right decision. It was a good decision, but the throw and the execution was a little off. And then Colladay still should have, he, sh- he should catch that football. Without a doubt. And then love the second down play. I mean, not going to the run, not settling to get into this dumb at this stupid third and quote unquote manageable situation that very rarely even surfaces itself when you run the ball in second and long, almost never surfaces itself. Gresham by Jones here on this throw to Darius Slayton here for the touchdown. I mean, so much to like about this. Jones' decision to throw the ball, freaking beautiful ball. He sees that he has the single high look. He looks off the safety for a quick second, which is all he needs. Delivers a perfect touchdown, just perfectly placed ball over the left shoulder of of Slayton to the point where he catches it and he's out of bounds, but he had already gotten the two feet in. What's so much, what's most impressive about this throw to me is, I said this earlier on this podcast, and this is kind of like caveat I have for Jones, who we've, we've pointed out has made some more bad plays than you would expect for a guy that we're praising so much. But part of the reason why I'm not knocking him for some of these bad plays is because he almost had zero opportunities for a clean pocket. Some of these quarterbacks, man, the Brady's of the world, are just getting clean pockets over and over. 
This is not even a clean pocket. It's an unreal ball, but Bredesen gets walked right back into him. So he's not even really throwing from a completely balanced place. I'm sorry, base. And yet he drops a perfect ball over the left shoulder for the touchdown. Yeah, you said that excellently, man, because, I mean, you're watching it from each angle. I don't know which angle looks more egregious <laughs> for Ben Bredesen, but you could even see it from the uh, from the high angle, not the end zone angle. He literally gets bullied right back into Jones's lap. And I don't even know how Jones is able to put this ball out there, man. Good quick release. You could yeah. see how he sets his hips, angles his hips well. I mean, it's put out there perfectly. And before that, he ends up holding that safety number 20 in place and, and not allowing him to kind of make a play on the football. And kudos to Darius Slayton, somebody who a lot of people are down on after after he dropped that that ball that was catchable but not perfect and I mean I kind of been uh, outspoken about Darius Slayton's just inefficiency and I, I think it's there's a lot of validity to that but on this route man he fires his feet at the line of scrimmage little blade type of release where you kind of showed that inside shoulder blade to the to the defender to the cornerback and then he uses both hands while he's kind of dipping that inside shoulder to swat the cornerback's hands off from making any kind of jam or contact ends up still dipping that shoulder blade and then just getting to the edge of the defender and basically stacking on top, not fully stacking on top of him, but gaining leverage, vertical leverage on the defender. Beautiful throw, beautiful release, beautiful route, beautiful catch and finish. And I mean, I wish it just happened a little bit more uh, towards the end of the fourth quarter with the uh, Mills concept. We're going to go over it a little bit. Yep. No doubt about it. All right, so this one ends here with a touchdown. Giants up 20-14. to 14. Washington responds to a three-minute field goal drive, and the Giants get the ball back. Now, again, 20-17 to 17 at this point, full control of the game. Really no signs, in my mind, of Washington having any answer for what the Giants want to do. This is a drive where I thought Daniel Jones really, really cooked until he got down into the red zone. It really seems like this theme here with the Giants' offense. They pretty much have to score – on those, and again, he didn't get fully into the red zone. So I don't want to keep calling it the red zone when they're bogging down around the 30. But when that field gets a little tighter, it seems like the offense also gets a little bit tighter. So let's go over the good things here. Love the first down call, again, mm-hmm. by Jason Garrett here. Love the placement here, the velocity on this ball. Again, next pass. Great shot to Caden Smith. You broke this one down on your uh, on, on Big Blue Banter YouTube page. It's a another shotgun play action. Back-to-back of, the, of these from Garrett, which I love to see. The pocket's muddy again for Daniel Jones. He's getting hit when he's throwing. Again, lineman being walked back into him, but he's in cooking mode here. He throws a great ball with anticipation out to Caden Smith, who, like you said, ran a really good route. Again, like we said earlier, Caden Smith, I don't know, what is he batting? 800, 900 as far as plus or minus reps when he's on the field? It's, to me, it's amazing. At this point, I think he should be getting at least a, a 50-50 t- uh, snap share with Kyle Rudolph, to me. That's my personal opinion. And I would personally give him more snaps than Kyle Rudolph. I don't care that Kyle Rudolph gets paid more. I don't care that Kyle Rudolph is the veteran. That's what I'm seeing on the film. And if you don't go by that type of stuff and you just go by the production, I think he deserves it. So anything you want to break down here, I mean, we obviously get to a point here where um, there's a really bad play that I want to get to. But before we do that, anything you want to break down? I love the uh, route that Darius Slayton ran on that first down play. If you see, and Garrett has these all over his playbook, you you start very hard off the line of scrimmage with a hard vertical stem, and then you sink your hips like you're coming back on a curl, and that always freezes the cornerback, and then you explode out of that break back vertically. And then on this play, he cuts back and and does a curl. So he basically confuses Benjamin St. Juice like three times on the route, and he's wide open. Daniel Jones delivers a really, really nice pass right into his gut. So that was – I really liked that. 
that uh, just route from Darius Slayton, again, a player that a lot of people are knocking right now. And then the Caden Smith play, go check it out on the YouTubes. On the YouTubes, because uh, I really love how he was able to get around John Bostic here, who's attempting to wall him off to not allow him inside. Bostic is is trying to force him outside because he knows there's no defenders to to help him on the inside. And still, Caden Smith swims over the top of the inside arm of him. And Bostic holds him a little bit, but it doesn't even matter. And Caden Smith just runs into space, takes the hit. That's a beautiful play right there from somebody who's supposed to be your number three tight end, but just continues to impress, just continues to impress. And then the RPO, I mean, I know you want to break this down a little bit, Dan. So the very next play, you want to take it? Yeah, well, here's the thing. Like, we, This is the closest play to what we saw, and we still see flashes of this now in every game where Jones is just locking up. I mean, we saw it in the red zone last week where he threw into triple coverage to Barkley on that route. Should have been intercepted. It's another lock-on route. I mean, the linebacker nearly jumps this for the interception. Either way, if it gets through, he's literally leading Galladay right into the safety. I mean, you talk about tight window throws. This is a zero window throw. It's a zero. There's no window to throw this pass into. So I just don't know what Jones is seeing or thinking here other than this is what I thought would be there. I'm hitting my back foot and I'm throwing it. And God bless. Let's hope it is what we thought it would be. Yeah, I think this is one where you probably hand the football off. You know from your pre-snap look that it's a too high safety look. So you know you're throwing Galladay into a position where he could just get annihilated. Now the linebacker, Cole Holcomb, actually ends up getting pushed into the throwing lane by Billy Price. So just Billy Price doesn't know if this is going to be a running play or if it's going to be a passing play. So you can't really knock him for it. But if you see Price pushes him and then Holcomb's like, oh, okay, thank you, jumps up and knocks this ball down. And credit to Kenny Galladay here. There were a couple times, Dan, on this film where I felt like there were funny things or just interesting things that happened that provide no football analysis whatsoever. Galladay is in the air and he gets nailed by this safety. Galladay doesn't go down, bro. I was like, wow. I would feel like such a boss if I got nailed as hard as Galladay did and I don't fall and he ends up falling on the ground. <laughs> there was also another totally. funny there was also another little funny play where Ben Bredesen uh, went to go help out one of the uh, Washington football team players. I think it was Deron Payne. And uh, Deron Payne smacks his hand away. And I was just like, oh man, talk about <laughs> talk about a screw you moment. Yep, for sure. No love lost between these two teams. This drive bogs down with a field goal. Giants end up I actually thought Jones did a good job on that third and long, getting them into field goal range. This is one of the few drives I felt like they didn't leave points on the board. They almost created some points on the board here in my mind. Uh, Giants now take a 23-17 to lead. Washington falls with a field goal drive of their own. Giants get the ball back now, 23-20. to And here's another drive where it really felt like they left points on the field. We talked earlier. We, we were up, I think we were up to, what, seven points left on the field uh, so far. Then we have this one where... There's two areas, I think, where they left points on the field here. The first is, you know, Slate, the Slayton touchdown miss. So, again, it's a flat ball. He's wide open. So, like, yes, he should maybe catch this pass, Slayton. But this ball is being driven in there to a spot by Jones. This is a flat ball that is really hitting a spot. I don't think it's as easy throw, an easy catch as it seems to us. That was just my – this is my guess, Nick. My guess is from either angle we take, the broadcast or either of the all 22 angles – it's just not as easy of a throw or catch as it seems when you're watching it on film as if you're running the route live like Slayton was. You're trying to catch up to this ball that's being thrown flat. Now, you watch the Russell Wilsons. You watch the Kyler Murrays. They're putting loft on this ball. They're letting the receiver run under it. He's wide open. There's really no need to drive this football. So upon further review, I'm taking less blame off Slayton 
but not putting it all on Jones, but I'm putting some of the blame on Slayton and putting some of that on Jones. Yeah, that's completely fair, uh, to be honest. It, it sucks to see a receiver drop a wide-open touchdown, and I do put blame on Darius Slayton. He probably puts blame on himself, but there's no denying that the throw could have been better. The throw should have been better as well. And, I mean, it, it, it just sucks from a coaching perspective, especially when you're Jason Garrett and you just get you know, tarnished by the media, rightfully so, that you devised a play against the perfect coverage that Washington ended up running and you had your receiver wide open, but the execution was literally maybe like three to four inches off. And that's all it takes. And that's the difference between good and bad football teams, man. It, it really, really is. But to go back to the first play of that drive too, I mean, that Sterling Shepard route is awesome, man. Yeah. Off the line of scrimmage, the sale concept where it was play action, the linebackers bite up a little bit, man. It, it did seem like they were really worried about Saquon Barkley and the rushing attack in this game. And, and Sterling Shepard releases to the inside of John Bostic as he's flowing laterally, and Bostic ends up just falling down. He might have actually ended up kicking Shepard's legs a little bit. He ends up falling down, and, and Galladay clears out, and there's nobody anywhere near Shepard. Kudos to Jones, man. Strong arm throw out to about, you know, between the sidelines and the numbers there. But that's that's just an excellent first down play. And that's what's so maddening, Dan, is the fact that the Giants came out. They were aggressive on first down. All this stuff we talk about on the Big Blue Banter podcast, we received here and we received big chunk plays on first down. We received big chunk runs from Saquon Barkley, the one, the 40. And they result in, just like last year, three points. And I'll take it a step further, Nick, because this is something that not, has not been talked about a bunch this week. And I'm not so sure why it hasn't been talked about a bunch this week. Because in my opinion, it should be talked about a little bit more. And that's the decisions. Here, for example, like you said, this one specifically was a fourth and three at the Washington 34. You opt for the field goal there. I'm not certain at all times you should be opting for a field goal at fourth and three situations. Especially the way the offense was running this game. I'm sorry, was converting plays this game. The other one was the fourth and sixth, the one before this, so I'm not going to knock that one too much when they settled for three there. The earlier field goal was on a fourth and two from the Washington Five. Again, Giants are a guaranteed field goal kick team here, it seems like, under Joe Judge. They're a guaranteed fourth and two from Washington Five. I'll make the case to my death. We're not going to do this on this podcast, but I am a never. I may never kick the field goal in this situation kind of guy. I'm a big believer in the analytics, which tell you that worst case. And now it depends how your defense is playing too. But at this point, the Giants defense was forcing three and outs at will. At this point, Washington had seven points and it was just one drive, one long touchdown drive. Everything else was a three and out at this point. They had all three and outs and one touchdown drive. So I'm always a big believer in worst case, you run this play. Washington gets the ball from the opposing team, gets the ball from their own end zone. You can force a three and out punt, and you're right back in field goal position, especially for a kicker like Graham Gano, who was kicking from 50-plus all game. That's the worst case. Obviously, there's worst cases. They drive down, whatever. But the best case, or just like in easy cases, have some damn confidence in your offense to convert two yards, okay? Have some confidence that you can run a play for two yards. It's really hard to stop two-yard plays. This was their first decision, and they came back with a fourth and three field goal. Again, not talked about much this week. Later in the game, it was a fourth and four at the Washington 37, which they kicked the field goal on. Not talked about much this week. And then finally, obviously, the playing for the field goal at the end. The fourth and four one is interesting to me because I I understand where you're coming from because you're only going up by six. That doesn't really do you much justice. It ended up leading to basically you losing this football game. A lot of other variables had to happen negatively for the Giants, but they all ended up happening. 
but you just took two false start penalties and you're lucky that Daniel Jones was able to get that 11 yard scramble because of a chip block from Kyle yeah. Rudolph that eliminated two defensive linemen. So that's one where I'm like, I can see why they went with the field goal there. It's a 55 yard field goal. Cause if you don't, I mean, you're up three points and you're, and you, and you don't convert, you're giving Washington the football back near midfield, which isn't ideal either, especially since the defense wasn't playing great at that point. No doubt, but in any of those spots, the fourth and four, the fourth and two from the Washington five, or the fourth and three, if they convert, not only do they have the chance to put four more points on the game, on the board that would have made the difference in this game, more importantly, or not more importantly, in addition to that, which is why in my mind it's always a good decision to consider it, you're taking more time off the clock and you're giving your opponent less time to make the comeback win. So you have to, have yeah. to figure that factor in as well. There's more minutes coming off the clock in a game where in the, ultimately the, the, the Washington football team needed every second almost that they could get in this spot. Um, but anyway, field goal here. I love, yeah, I love uh, the trap block that the Giants ran on this on this drive with Will Hernandez, where they allow Jonathan Allen, who's on the backside of the run free technique, to come up field unblocked, so Ben Bredesen and Andrew Thomas can both climb up to the second level and get the linebackers, and they trap him with Will Hernandez, who ends up getting him. And this is the same play. This is the five yard Saquon Barkley rush before the two false starts, where Cole Holcomb straight up trips. Saquon Barkley. And this is a butterfly effect thing for me, Dan, because Cole Holcomb doesn't land that trip. We're talking about probably a first down, and that could have changed the entire outlook of the game. Giants would have the football a little bit longer. They could have maybe mounted a drive to score. A little little decision by Cole Holcomb to stick his foot out there and trip Saquon Barkley and not get noticed by the refs. Like Little things like that could just sway an NFL season. How crazy is that? It is crazy, and you could even see it. Barkley was super visibly frustrated by that, and it was a good run by him, by the way. Um, settles for field goal, obviously here. Then here they come. Washington drives down for the touchdown. Two plays, taking 17 seconds off the clock, which ultimately ends up, again, being a massive difference. Such so, so, so fun with numbers here. Nick, it took Washington two plays to go 75. It took, I'm sorry, Washington, 17 seconds of game clock. That's it to go 75 yards and put seven points on the board. It took the Giants 16 seconds of game clock to kick a field goal after the Bradbury interception. Fun with numbers, but not fun if you're a Giants fan. And not fun if you're a fan of winning, in my mind, because this conservative bullshit throughout the game, throughout every single game since they've gotten here, we blamed it last year on the offensive line. We blamed there's a lot of excuses for conservative play calling. But I don't know. I'm starting to get to the point where there's a large enough sample size that I just think this is the way that Joe Judge coaches football teams and Joe Judge coaches football games. I'll be happy to be proven wrong. I'll be happy to eat these words. God bless. Please, please let me be proven wrong. But he promised an aggressive approach. He promised a Belichickian-like approach. This hasn't been Belichickian at all to this point. This was a scared way to coach this entire football game, in my opinion, through and through. And, you know, if you're just scared trying to chip away with these little field goals, how many times the Giants lose football games because they were settling for field goals last year? How many times? And it happened again in this game. But anyway, the touchdown, the Giants have to punt. That's when we have the Bradbury interception, and we roll into that final series. Anything you want to add on this series? There's another drive as well for the Giants. Yeah, yeah. The one that was the the punt after the fourth. Yeah, you can go for that one. Yeah, I want to just talk about a Saquon Barkley for a second uh, in this series because he takes a lot of crap for his lack of pass protection ability. He picks up Cole Holcomb on a middle linebacker just twist where the, I think it's like a two-eye technique ends up, or no, it's a nose, ends up occupying Billy Price, releasing to the right. Holcomb just comes into a wide open A-gap. He would have murdered Daniel Jones. And Barkley ends up actually 
stepping outside, going into his route, but he realizes it, diagnoses it, and delivers an excellent hit on Holcomb to give Daniel Jones the time to throw an incomplete pass to Kenny Galladay. But I think we have to just tip our cap to him because he's not that great in pass protection, but that was an amazing rep by him. Yeah, that was a fun one that when you watch the film, anyone who has the All-22, I know it's harder to get this year without Game Pass giving out like the total... Uh, let's. I'm not even going to eviscerate them like I want to on this podcast, but if anyone does have the All-22, it's a fun one to watch because it's one of the best pass pro reps I've ever seen by Barkley. It's so frustrating, man, because the next play, they end up picking up a first down on a beautiful anticipation throw to Kyle Rudolph just around Cole Holcomb and right before the safety gets there. Daniel Jones threw it before Kyle Rudolph enters his break. That's a beautiful pass. And you're thinking as a fan, I mean, we all watch this game. We're all thinking like, oh, the Giants are moving the football, you know, great play. And then what happens? They end up bogging down and, and, and they have to at the punt of football, like it, it, it's stuff like that, man, that just ends up just being maddening about the, about this team. The fact they were able to move the football in this game, but just not well enough and little mistakes ended up biting them in the ass. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. And then obviously we'll talk about on the defensive podcast, but then it comes the interception. Now here's that final drive where the giants go into this drive with the clear cut goal of killing some clock here, right? I mean, how else could you describe what they did? They came out in a tight bunch formation, brought on, I'm blanking on his name. I was so angry tweeting about him earlier. Uh, Myrick, Myrick, is that how you do? Brought on Myrick, who actually ended up playing seven snaps. These were two of his seven that are about to come up. You bring Myrick onto the field, and you go into that tight formation. What the hell are you telling the defense? Are you telling them, I mean, God bless you if you bring that whole crap out and then you run the play action, or you get Jones on a bootleg and you give him an option to run or to throw a, a, a pass. Or you just run a simple play action. You have one route, you get it out there. God bless if you do that. But that's not what they're doing here. Because from the start, from the very start here after this interception on an incredible play by Bradbury, their mindset is to burn clock. And what do they end up doing? Burning 16 seconds off the clock. Yeah, they forced two timeouts from the other team. So what? They burned 16 total seconds off the clock, threw an incomplete pass on third down on a dead route that never was going anywhere. And Jones screwed this one up, by the way, or... You know, Jones didn't do his best here by planting and throwing that ball so inaccurately. But, man, oh, man, is this bad stuff. And I had people on Twitter, uh, you know, people I respect, and I give them their opinion, say that Barkley made the mistake on this first down play call. I watched this thing 25 times, literally. I went over and over and over from both angles this play. There ain't no hole for Barkley. It looks like there's a little hole at first, but guess what? If Barkley's going to make a play on that hole, he has to somehow find a way to go to move laterally without losing momentum, which is impossible. He has to move laterally, then cut back, drive on his right leg, and get vertical to to squeak through a crease that's not even really there because Deron Payne, 94, is out there and closing on that crease. And yeah, there's a tight end getting out there. The tight end stumbling. Watch the film. Go watch the tape yourself. The tight end is stumbling into that block. He's not going to get that block on Duran Payne. And even so, even if he gets a piece of Payne, Payne already has a step on him. Payne already can close that crease out. And Landon Collins, or 26, is waiting in the background, ready to close that out for a max of five or six yards. All game, you've been having success with the pass. All game, eight of ten first downs you called pass, found success on all of them. The second half, you're ripping plays in the pass game. And you come out and you run the ball on first and ten there out of a tight formation with Myrick on the field and an obvious rundown instead of once again passing off play action or RPO at worst here, which you can give, or a design run for Daniel Jones 
anything better than that. And then what do you do? As you pointed out, Nick, on that second play, you run the exact same play call. You just flip the side, just a pathetic give up in my mind. Oh, yeah, you got them to call two timeouts and end up doing nothing because they still had two minutes to move into field goal range, which they did easily, which they should have proven to you they were going to do easily because they just went 75 yards in two plays a bit earlier, in two plays and 16, 17 seconds off the clock. And you're worried about giving them two minutes instead of 3.30, instead of trying to get the seven points here. And, of course, they lose the game after this where they settle for three and then Washington goes down and kicks the field goal. I needed to get that ran out, Nick. Now you can take over and give a little more levity and more of a uh, balanced-based opinion on what we went or what went down here after watching the film. It's the same play twice, just flipped, same exact formation, which was frustrating. And Deron Payne does an excellent job reading this play on the first one. And I'll just say uh, it, the play is the GH counter with the sniffer pulling and the backside guard pulling. It was their main run play that they did last year. We talk about it a lot on this podcast uh, Caden Smith is the pulling tight end he's he's the predominant pulling tight end on a lot of these types of plays just a little counter run and you're right man uh I, I don't fully I don't think the hole is as big as people made it because of the presence of Landon Collins there there's no way Kyle Rudolph is going to be able to to locate Landon Collins before he fills that gap I think if Barkley maybe got it right away and, and just darted in that direction then, then possibly he could have picked up a few extra yards, but I don't think it's nearly as egregious as, as some other people uh, may, may have realized. It looks worse than it actually was, and that's because of Deron Payne. Deron Payne read this play from the beginning. He saw the backside. Deron Payne is the nose here. He sees the backside guard pull, and then you can just see him just take steps right into the gap, and the line or the tight end end up coming over and delivering a hit on him and just forces the run back inside right to Jamin Davis. I think Deron Payne and Landon Collins both closed that hole that ostensibly looked big, but I don't think it's as big as many people believe. So I think you're on uh, to something there. And then the next play is the same exact play. And then the third down call is, is a, is a, is a pass play, you know, go figure. You're going to try to pass, pick up the first down. This, if this play is completed, then, then the giants win this football game, but Daniel Jones and Kurt Warner broke this down. He hits that back foot. He, his, his base is incredibly wide and he tries to force this football in to Sterling Shepard's chest before Sterling Shepard's in his break, which is fine, but he puts the ball behind him and, and the accuracy is just not there. He has to put that just a little bit in front to that upfield shoulder. He doesn't end up doing that. Sterling Shepard can't secure the catch and then the Giants are in, end up have to take a field goal, bro. I mean, if that if that ball is just a little bit in front, I guarantee Sterling Shepard catches that football and the Giants are one and one right now. And, and little things like this, that Daniel, and again, I think Daniel Jones played a great game, Dan. He really did, but he did leave plays out there and he did put his receivers into situations that weren't maximized in terms of success. And I think those things can coexist and those are corrections that Daniel Jones need to make with his game. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. And I want to say one more point about this because you know I spent all that time breaking down why I thought it was very inflated, this supposed hole that Barkley had. But that's not the point here. The point here is the overall 30,000-foot view. Why are you going away from what was working, the passing game? Why are you trying to focus mostly on burning clock? Your focus should be on getting seven points in this spot every time. If you want to be a winning football team, a team that wins Super Bowls, doesn't just grind out six wins against a bad division. You want to win Super Bowls. You want to play to win, coach to win, not coach not to lose. Well, you got to go for seven in this spot. When you make that play, you have to be thinking, how do I get seven points? And there were a lot of ways to get seven points there, ways that had proven to them that had been working via the pass game, via the RPO, via the play action on first down all 
game long. And they went all the way from all of those and decided to run two straight run plays from a tight formation, obvious rundown, bringing Myrick onto the field. Regardless of if that hole was there or not, which I think is not there, <laughs> at best they're getting six there, at best. And that's assuming, like you said, Barkley gets the ball, doesn't pick his hole, and has to drive straight into that little crease. He would have to drive, like you said, just dart right into it. He'd have to get vertical, not vertical, it's like a slant, but he'd have to really plant that foot and drive forward. Meanwhile, I also think, and I'm going to go to the, I'll go to the grave with this one, Nick. I think him cutting it back in there was a good thing. I think they got more yards from cutting it back in there. But he tries to get lateral there to get to that small crease. I think Deron Payne is closing that crap down. And as he's going lateral, he's moving backwards into the other block guy at the end of the line of scrimmage, the end. And it's just going to turn into nothing. And we always knock on Barkley. Why are you trying to bounce things outside? Good job in my mind getting vertical there. I stand by it. I'm going to take that one to my grave. Let's wrap this week up on the All-22 offense by giving some awards out. Start with your unheralded player of the week, Nick. Unheralded player of the week for me. I mean, he's kind of heralded, I guess, just because he was pretty impressive. I think the entire game, I think people are taking notice specifically because the rest of the Giants offensive line kind of sucks. So mine is Andrew Thomas. I think Andrew Thomas had a couple plays where he was pushed back into Daniel Jones by Montez Sweat and his long arm technique, which is one of the better long arm techniques in the National Football League. But overall, I just think he looks so much more confident, man. I think his footwork is so much better. I think he stays square to his target so much better. He readjusts his hands so much better than some of the film that we saw last year. So I'm encouraged by Andrew Thomas, and he is my unheralded player of the week, even though he's somewhat heralded. Totally great call there, Nick. He was, in my mind, the clear-cut best offensive lineman on the All-22 film. Clear-cut in this game. I mean, the only person who could even compete is like, I guess Hernandez, like the next two are probably Hernandez and Solter to some extent. And obviously neither of them played as well. A little bit of a rough start, I thought, for Thomas, but he really settled down. It wasn't perfect. It wasn't every rep amazing, but it was a lot of really good reps and a lot of consistent reps. My own Helded Player of the Week, Caden Smith. Talked about him all podcast, man. The guy's batting 800 to 900, something in that range. Almost never gives you a bad rep. That seal block I thought was unbelievable on the Big Barkley run. I thought he had another great block later in the game. Had a great route that you went over and broke down on the film, on the YouTube page, for those of you who want a full breakdown of this. So he's my Arnold Helter Player of the Week. All right, next thing we're going to is the Throw of the Week from Daniel Jones. Which one are you hitting on this one? It's, I feel like we're going to get the same one here, so maybe we get a different one. Maybe not. We're going to have a lot of the same calls on these. Just And I'm always the one throwing them out there, so just no. I'm not copying Nick. We have it all written down. But a lot of times we see the same things. I mean, it's obviously the, the Slayton touchdown, but I'm going to – you could talk about that one, but I'll uh, I'll go into another one, which is the Kenny Galladay all sticks route that we criticized uh, Jason Garrett for before, mainly because of what happens up front. If you watch this throw, Daniel Jones, he drives the ball to Kenny Galladay for, I think, a 12-yard gain from the far hash all the way to the sideline. And I like the throw mainly because the protection completely breaks down from the tackle end stunt where Ioannidis splits the B gap, and then Montez Sweat comes underneath Will Hernandez, who's just too slow to recognize what's going on. And Daniel Jones has to kind of force his his footwork a little bit, and he drives his football in before taking a big shot from Montez Sweat. It's directly on target, right where it needed to be. The timing was was well, despite the fact that he was about to get annihilated. So I'm going to go with that, even though it's the obvious one, the one that you're about to go over. Yeah, the TD Slayton's the best ball. We broke it down already. There's no need to go back over it. But it is funny you mentioned that other one because that one is like in my notes, start. I'm going to do a video on it tomorrow. I love that play from Jones because 
Jones, when I watched him at Duke, one of the traits I loved the most was his poise in the pocket. That doesn't mean his awareness in the pocket. They're two different things. But his poise in the pocket, his ability to stand tall and deliver the football while maintaining his accuracy despite a hit bearing down and fight a defender bearing down on him and oftentimes clobbering him. In this case, this is a tough rip out there. It's a really tough rip to get out there that side of the field, and especially while getting hit. He threw a lot of good balls while getting hit in this game, which is not easy, and that was one of the you know best traits I like for Jones. Let's do the best route run of this game. The best route run of this game, I mean, we have two that comes to mind. I'm going to actually go with the same play that you just talked about, and that's Darius Slayton's touchdown because how he releases off the line of scrimmage, uses his hands. I broke it down before and how he was able to slightly stack on that cornerback to give himself vertical leverage. I thought it was a really, really nice play by Darius Slayton, who ran a couple really nice routes here. He just needs to hold on to the damn football, and Daniel Jones needs to do a better job giving him a more catchable football. So I'll say that about Darius Slayton, but that's the one I'm going to say. Okay, I like that one. I'm going to go with the Caden Smith seam route. Man, we talked all 2019 about how Caden Smith was taking advantage of the seam uh, and doing a great job running routes, getting open, catching the football in that final stretch one with Daniel Jones during Jones' rookie season when Ingram was injured. Man, again, guy just seems to bat 800 and 900. And there's a great breakdown, by the way. We already went over it, but Nick does a full breakdown of this play. So take a look at our YouTube page for that. Let's do the all 22 coaches film play call of the week. I actually have two here and they're luckily different than yours. So let's get to yours first. I went with the follow or the angle concept, whatever you want to call it on the third and seven where Kyle Rudolph sets a pick eliminating two defenders and it opens up a wide open area of the field for Sterling Shepard. Wish the throw was a little bit better. Could have been a much bigger gain for the Giants. But I do like that play call from Jason Garrett. I do like the reduced split bunch formation that we've been seeing a little bit more from Jason Garrett. We saw it last year too, but I feel like there's a lot of creative man beaters within Jason Garrett's playbook in terms of that specific formation. So that's the one I'm going to roll with here. And I, I mean, there's a, there's a, there's a couple other ones, obviously the Dan, you go, I don't want to say, I don't want to say uh, one that you may have down. Well, it's a simple one, but the Mills concept, the deep post against cover six with Darius Slayton on the missed touchdown pass that we talked about earlier, where again, could have been a little bit more ball air on the ball, but also Slayton could maybe make that catch. It's a great concept. It's simple, but we've been asking for it for what feels like the last 14 months. Run that crap more often. Just run it more often. Obviously, you're not going to always get the best looks. There will be more looks than just this one in two games. You're going to get a shot at a play like that. And those types of plays can win you games. If they connect on this play, the Giants aren't losing this football game. The other one I love the most here, and we went over it already, was that first down call from that empty set to get the one-on-one with Galladay. Again, we think it's defensive pass interference on Galladay. Who knows? It wasn't called. But just get us more of those opportunities. Their timing is going to get better. The rapport is going to get on, on pace and much better. They're going to start connecting on those vertical routes. If you can get Galladay on one-on-one vertical routes, 50-50 type balls, that's what you want. Take those shots on first down. That would have been a 35-yard gain on that play. So excellent stuff there. All right, Dan, Nick, give think, us – Dan, what, yeah, you think you get uh, – you think the squeaky wheel gets the grease this week against Atlanta without possibly no A.J. Terrell? Oh, yeah, the squeaky wheel will be getting the grease. The Giants whew, should put up a lot of points against Atlanta. Let's hope that's the case. All right, all 22 grade for the pass blocking, 1 to 10 scale, Nick. I went with five and a half, and I think – I mean, the positives are Andrew Thomas, to be honest. The positives are the fact that the 
Giants were using a lot more six-man protection packages, sometimes seven-man. And sometimes when they were in a true five-man protection, or not true, but they were in a five-man protection package, they utilized the tight ends and the running backs to chip. So I'm including all of that decision-making into this. So I'm going to come away with a five and a half. But I have to say, man, that interior offensive line is a problem. Yeah, I'll go 4.75 just only because I don't think it could be that much lower when you generate that much of a passing game. Having said that, individually speaking, when I focus, when both of us focus on the all 22, that second angle where you could really hone in on the linemen, there wasn't much good there besides Andrew Thomas, who was great. It was a borderline great, let's say above between above average and great. Really bad stuff from Bredesen, bad stuff from Gates before the injury, bad stuff from Price before the injury, or the whole game, sorry, he didn't get hurt. Hernandez, like you said before the podcast, Nick, this is what Will Hernandez is. He's going to have some good reps. He's going to have some bad reps every game. He's not, doesn't seem likely he's taking that jump. It's just no. a bad e, not a bad eval, but this is just it. I mean, like somewhat, yeah. You're taking a guard at 34. He's got to be a lot better than this, especially when Braden Smith comes off the board one pick later. I mean, this is these are the decisions Gettleman is making time after time that have led them to where they're at with the offensive line. But anyway, I digress. Solder, okay, definitely not above average. So 4.75 for me. Overall run blocking grade for you. 4.1 for me for the overall run blocking grade. I mean, Billy Price was was not great in this area whatsoever. Ben Bredesen was meh. And then uh, I think the tackles could improve. Andrew Thomas, I thought, was was solid. And Nate Solder probably isn't as bad as many would envision. But overall, they weren't able to get a lot of push at the point of attack. A lot of that is because they were facing Washington's defensive front. That is one of the best yeah. defensive fronts in the National Football League. So I'm going to go with a 4.1. I went 3.9, but point taken, that's a very good point, I thought, about you know going against Washington front. I think, honestly, like looking at these grades now, we might even be being too generous. Like We're almost close to average on both, and this wasn't an average offensive line, which says even more about how well everyone else played. Garrett, uh, you know, Jones through Garrett through everybody, really. The play calling, the quarterback play, the receiving play, um, because... And, and Barkley, who had generated a few explosive plays. I mean, a lot of this game was Jones, though, man. I mean, like there's very little yards after the catch. Some of that is on Jones, but he generated a running game on his own. Almost ran for 100 yards on his own, Daniel Jones. Would have ran for 100 yards without that bogus, uh, you know, somewhat bogus holding call. I mean, it's not the most egregious thing I've ever seen, but I think that he, he could have held That's that an, call off. It, it, was, it, it shouldn't have been called. That's an excellent point. I actually saw, I think, license plate guy tweet something about how Lamar Jackson – and I think like ESPN tweeted this main tweet, he quote tweeted it, but uh, Lamar Jackson, I think is like the first player in NFL history or, or something ridiculous to throw for over 200 yards, rush for over a hundred yards and have two rushing touchdowns. And it made me think uh, after a uh, uh, license plate, I tweeted, if you know, you know, I'm like, oh, that's, that's disappointing. And I did not know that to be honest, because Daniel Jones would have easily cleared that if that call wasn't um, brought back on the CJ board, kind of ticky tacky holding call. Yep, you're damn right he would have. And this was a big game for Jones. I mean, he generated most of the offense in this game, which is awesome to see. All right, let's wrap up with the player who struggled the most in all 22. I think this one's pretty easy. Yeah, yeah, Billy Price for me. I mean, we, we've kind of been over it plenty of times throughout this podcast. And I think there were a lot of miscommunications, but there's still, man, all of his physical limitations come up. He's not that athletic. He can't unlock, He can't turn and unlock his hips and use agility to, to kind of recover when he makes mistakes and he has short arms and so many times these defensive linemen were able to get into his chest and kind of push pull him or just control him or swim over the top of him and, and and put themselves into better positions to execute their assignments because Billy Price physically just has short arms man he got those t- Tyrannosaurus Rex 32 inch arms which is like like the bottom fifth percentile or something like that for interior offensive <laughs> linemen so 
it wasn't a great start for Billy Price. Now I'll say, I think there were times where he expected help, didn't get it. That could be on him. It could be on the protection. I'm not really 100% certain as to what's going on there to seem like he was expecting help after watching the All-22. But either way, he he did not look encouraging in his first start. Yeah, no doubt about it. I'll, that's the obvious pick, and there's no reason to go off. Like Bredesen comes to mind as well, just not a great not a great film game. And I'll say this, man. We'll get to some defensive podcast. We'll wrap up here, but there's some reps I watch Austin Johnson or whoever really is in that second spot, not getting much pass rush, not really creating in these one-on-one looks. And I think back to the film last season where B.J. Hill was consistently winning in those one-on-one looks with his pass rush. And I wonder, man, are we going to regret this price for B.J. Hill trade? And the Giants gave a pick, but let's just say the Hill for price trade. I wonder it, man. I hope price can come around because that was a bit of a panic trade, without a doubt. <laughs> I mean, there's no denying that was a bit of a panic trade. Bredesen was a panic trade, but I mean... This panic, though, was created by them. Like, Gettleman, this is a self-created panic because they put themselves in this position where they were confident with their offensive linemen going into this offseason, did nothing there, and then found out before week one when they made these two trades, oh, crap, I mean, we're not there. And some people are like, oh, they got injuries in the offensive line. No, no, no. Shane Lemieux injury, please, please. We're talking about a fifth rounder who was the worst pass-blocking guard in the NFL last season. Please don't come at me with that crap. Please, Okay. So let's just say that we'll end it there. We need we need better play from this offensive line to get a more consistent offense. I mean, that's kind of the point there. All right, Nick, anything else you want to wrap up with? No, just absolutely, man. Absolutely. We need to stabilize this offensive line, and I don't see how that's exactly going to happen, uh, not to be a pessimist. So it's <laughs> going to have to be contingent on Daniel Jones taking that next step, Saquon Barkley making some things happen on the ground as well. And hopefully these receivers can just be a little bit better and holding onto the football. And Daniel Jones can be a little bit more precise with his accuracy and his touch. No doubt about it. All right. We did promise to get to some podcast reviews and questions. We're not going to be able to do it on any of these. I feel like from uh, obviously the all 22, these run so long. We'll do a, we'll do a mailbag soon. We promise we'll do a mailbag soon. We'll get to it then. Of course, until then, thank you again for tuning in. Please, please leave us a rating and review on iTunes. That's the best way to help us grow. We're not really growing right now, the ratings-wise. So if you haven't left a rating or review yet, please head to iTunes and just go ahead and give us five stars. Leave a comment. Leave a question. We'll answer the questions at some point. We promise. Hopefully, I'm a soon mailbag. Obviously, please follow us on Instagram, NYBigBlueBanter. That's NYBigBlueBanter on Instagram. And then uh, lastly, follow our new YouTube page. Check it. Uh, check it out. Big Blue Banter, you'll see our logo. You'll know it's us. Nick's done three video breakdowns, more coming. Um, So great stuff coming on there. So just enjoy all that. We'll talk to you soon. And stay tuned because the Defensive All-22 podcast is coming next.